Uh, uh, coming to ECW for a really long time because uh, this is like a greatest hits church. I mean, when I look at the missionaries you support and Gwen just mentioned all of those, it's like, it's like how did you get all the really good ones, you know? Uh, not like we pass them out and decide, but uh, I, I'm just so grateful. And, and what I love about ECW is, is you guys are about the whole mission because uh, there's some churches that they care about where they are locally, but they're not thinking about beyond that. There are some churches that think uh, a little bit beyond, but they don't go way beyond. And I just want to say thank you for being an Acts 1-8 church. Because in Acts 1-8, it says, now the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We often talk about it in this sort of here near, far, and hard. Here is right where you live. You're responsible for Eau Claire. I'm not responsible for Eau Claire. I'm responsible for Indianapolis. That's where I live. I live in a community called Irvington. No one else that I know of is in that little town except, except us. And actually, I got a daughter and son-in-law that live there. But we have to be responsible for that. You're not responsible for it. You live in Eau Claire. You're responsible for this here. But you're also responsible for the near things that are a little further away. That's probably all of Wisconsin, maybe even all the way over to Minneapolis, you know, connect with those gophers over there. And, uh, you know, I mean, making a difference. But also the far places and the hard places. And when I look through your missionaries, you're doing exactly that. You're doing great local things here. And when I just met some of the mentors, met some of the men and women who are part of, of a outreach you guys are involved in, engaged with, Hope Gospel Mission, and other things that I know you do, that's powerful. That makes a difference. And I, I heard stories of life transformation because you're engaged with real people, really reaching out, caring, loving, being Christ to them. And they're reproducing now as they're growing and sharing with others. And, but you're also concerned. You've been doing church planning and stuff like that. And so I often talk about this ampersand because critical to this verse is, is the and that's in here. It's Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts. It's here and near and far and hard. A lot of churches, you know, kind of say things instead of and, they say when. Like, we'll be concerned about the rest of the world when we get to 200 people or when we can pay our pastor. Pastors always like that part. Uh, uh, when we build a new building. As soon as we finish that building, then we'll talk about, you know, doing more in missions. But you guys said we're going to be about all of the ands here. And some of the people you picked up, Tim and Tiffany Gallant, are in one of those really hard places. Really hard places. If you know anything about Cambodia, it's a place where uh, there was such destruction during the Pol Pot regime. They killed anybody who was trained in a university. They killed anybody who wore glasses because they considered them intellectuals or people who, of means. Kind of want to take your glasses off real quick, don't you? <laughs> I mean, I didn't wear mine today because I'm like, I'm going to talk about that. I mean, I, and, and they're doing an amazing work and seeing amazing response in training pastors. We have work in, in what we call the Karis field. It's a place where we can't really identify. And, and, and we, it's a place where one of our pastors, one of the locals who has reached for Christ and now is a pastor of one of our home churches because all of our churches are in homes there. Pretty quiet worship, pretty quiet gatherings, but deep passion for Christ. It took her 15 years to come to Christ with faithful witness, people who shared with her on a regular basis. They sent back to their prayer partners back here, pray for her, and they'd always change her name so that it didn't get back to her, you know, anything like that. But for 15 years, they waited, and finally, miraculously, she came to Christ. And now she's one of her pastors. 
I, I, you guys are involved in that level of the work, as well as some that's a little closer, Barrow America with Jarvis and Sue Ferguson, and, uh, and others that, that are just making such a difference. So thank you for being an and church, not an or church or a when church. And uh, I just want to say thank you, and, and you're just such a powerful part of who we are. So I want to talk about making disciples, and I'm in John chapter 1. I love this story. I, I love when Jesus is calling his disciples, and in every gospel, the shore is kind of an example of those different times. We're in John chapter 1, 35 through 42. You can look it up on your phone or grab a Bible and, and look at it. It's a phenomenal passage, and I want to talk about disciples making disciples, and what it does it look like to be a multiplying disciple. So we pick up the passage here in John chapter 1. The next day, John, and this is John the Baptist. There was John the disciple, but this is John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. So he points out Jesus and says, look, there's the Lamb of God. And then it says this, when the two disciples heard him say this, these were the disciples of John the Baptist, him say this, they followed Jesus. It's a big transition, like John's been raising up disciples, all of a sudden he points out Jesus and they go, see you John, you know, bye-bye, you know, because they're going to follow Jesus and that's what disciples do. They follow, they follow Jesus. And then this passage says, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? It's a pretty direct question. I don't think he was harsh in it, but I think he was pretty clear, like, well, what do you want? You ever been in one of those places? You ever ask yourself, what do I really want in life? I think sometimes we roll through life so fast, we're not asking the question, hey, what do I really want my life to look like? I've been evaluating just with what I do. Like, what do I really believe God wants me to do? What is it that's really critical to my life right now? How do I follow what he's asking me to do? So he says, what do you want? Now, I, I used to read this answer and I'd go, okay, <laughs> you ever been in those places where you don't know what to say because somebody asked you a direct question and you're like, ah, 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 and they go, where are you staying? Like, are you staying at the Hilton or, or do you stay at the Motel 6? Jesus, which one played, you know, I mean, it, it's kind of this thing of like, I, I, I thought it was an awkward, you know, like answer, but really it's not, it's a bold request. Because Jesus would have been staying in somebody's home. That's what they did in that time period. There were inns, but you only went to those if you were a foreigner or had to. They were staying in, he was staying in somebody's home, and they asked a very bold question, where are you staying? Because they wanted to connect with him intimately. They wanted to be where he was. They wanted to share meals together. They wanted to engage deeply with Christ. We had the privilege this weekend of staying with Kent and Hannah Peterson. You know them. They're just wonderful people. We had a, we had a difficult week with Global Partners. We lost Nancy Hubbard, a dear friend, outstanding missionary, been with us 32 years, served on five different continents. We have very few people that have done that. Long 13-year journey. Many times thought it was going to end, and she just pressed on, pressed on, pressed on. But when the end finally came, it was like, She's sick, she died. We had some other things that happened this week that it's just been a heavy week. And um, we could have easily stayed in a hotel. We, we stay in hotels, it's a convenient thing to do. Kent and Hannah opened their home and it was a place of peace for us this week. It was just, I don't know if you've been in their home before, but it's just kinda easy there. 
It's just kind of simple. They, they provided us their own bedroom and just all these lovely kind of little gifts along the way that you could, food and stuff like that. Put a couple extra ones in my suitcase for the trip home, you know. <laughs> Stole a couple bars of soap. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I mean, it felt like that because they had all these little soaps and stuff and I'd forgotten one thing that I wish I had. There it was, you know. Just everything was cared for and then just to be with them. I mean, they're just such lovely people. And they were boldly saying, where are you staying? Because they wanted to engage at that level. You know what? We've kind of lost that piece of inviting people into our homes. We go and we meet at a coffee shop. That's okay. I like coffee. Uh, we meet at a restaurant, but restaurants are timed and they're noisy and the waitress is like, hey, don't hurry at all, but here's your bill. You know, well, I just got the food, you know, because I get that. My daughters were all, they were waitresses. It's like, get out, open the door. I want more people, more tips. That's what it's all about, right? And, and so oftentimes we're so rushed when in fact some great ministry happens when we're together longer where we can listen deeper where we can offer counsel and care and love for each other. And these guys, what do you want? They wanted relationship. They wanted to be with Jesus. They wanted to connect deeply with him. Can I ask you a question? What do you want from Jesus? You know, he asked this question. Have you ever noticed that God asks questions, but he's not looking for information, right? Like he already knew what these guys were about. I mean, he's the son of God, right? He's God. So he, he already knows. It's like in Genesis chapter 3. You remember when Adam and Eve sinned? And God goes, Adam, where are you? Because remember they were hiding? It wasn't like he lost them. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I can't find them. You know, where are they? You know, I mean, he already knew. He wasn't asking the question for information. He was asking the question for evaluation. They had to answer the question themselves, like, okay, where are we? We're hiding. Why are we hiding? Because we sinned. He pushed it back to them. He's very bold in this to say, what do you want? And they were incredibly bold to say, where are you staying? And I love his response, come and see. Come and see me. Come and be with me. Disciples follow Jesus. They don't get caught up with following other things. They follow Jesus Here's the second principle I want you to see, and that is that Jesus' uh, disciples um, bring, they multiply disciples. Disciples make disciples. Uh, that, that's what happens in this passage. It, it goes on to say, did I skip that passage? Sorry about that. Andrew, who was one of the two who heard what John the Baptist had said and who had followed Jesus, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. So he's changed, and he goes out, and he brings his brother so that he can make him a disciple too. That's what disciples do. Disciples are people who make disciples who make disciples. That's what it's all about. Sometimes we think discipleship is, oh, I finished the 10 courses. Check it off. I'm a disciple. Look, I passed the course. But true disciples are those who not only learn and grow from Jesus, but they help others to come to him and grow and learn. I mean, that's why we're here today, right? I mean, if, if the 12 disciples just took it as their own at the end there that, that we were disciples and didn't make disciples, then nobody else would have been made a disciple, nobody, and it would never would have gotten to us. We'd be out here going, yeah, didn't know anything about this. But somebody went before us, became a disciple, who made a disciple, who made a disciple. That's what disciples do. And so Andrew goes, I've got something that's amazing. I met Jesus. I gotta go get my brother. I gotta get my brother and bring him to Jesus. And that's exactly what he does. Are you doing that? 
I've been asking myself over and over again, am I, am I discipling people? In the Wesleyan Church in North America, we've had this kind of motto of, of saying we want to celebrate every time a disciple makes a disciple and a church multiplies itself until there's a transforming Wesleyan presence in every zip code. Now there's like 40,000 zip codes. We're not looking for 40,000 churches, but we are looking for a transforming presence in every zip code because that's what we believe. We believe, God, that Christ transforms us, that the Holy Spirit comes, lives inside us, makes us brand new people. And what if in every zip code we had somebody who was living that and influencing and impacting and making disciples in that area? That would be pretty incredible. I share this message around the world, and we don't talk about zip codes because a lot of places there aren't zip codes. Uh, we, we talk about transforming in every district or every county or every province, and God's been doing some amazing things through that, that, through that challenge. Countries launching into brand new countries because of that brand new districts that they've never had a church in. Brand new provinces where they're now Mozambique covering every single province, 13 provinces in a very large country, mostly Muslim. And God's bringing hundreds of people to Christ. They planted 67 churches last year in Mozambique. God's doing amazing things because they're making disciples. So why don't we? I think we're busy. I think sometimes we're just so over-focused. I think sometimes we're just distracted. Isn't it amazing how we just aren't sensitive to the people around us? I think one of the greatest culprits of that is this thing right here, right? I mean the phone, because we're always looking at it, aren't we? Some of you are tucking yours away right now. It's okay. I'm not really picking on you. I was, I was looking at my Bible. That's what I was looking at. <laughs> you were typing the Bible or what were you doing? I mean, we get so distracted because we're on this thing all the time. I, everywhere I go, and it's true internationally. In fact, there's places where they got a lot more cell phones than we got. And, and, and everybody's looking at their phone. I was in Brazil, and I, I was staying in a hotel. It wasn't a very nice hotel. And the second day I was there, I realized I have a balcony. You know, that's kind of cool. You know, don't always have a balcony. It wasn't very nice. But I looked down, and there was a cafe below me. 21 people I could count in the cafe. 19 of them were on their phones. 19. My heart was broken. I thought, don't those other two people have a phone? <laughs> Maybe I could give them mine or something, you know, because they don't have anything, to, you know. I mean, I mean, there they are in this beautiful spot. It was a beautiful city. And, and they're sitting in a cafe and they're all looking at their phones instead of talking to the person right across the table from them. Gwen and I sometimes are in the same room and she's so preoccupied. Not, I never get preoccupied, but she's so preoccupied with something, I'll just text her and say, hey, honey, I'm still here. Send. You know, she looks up and hi. Goes back to what she's doing. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how our lives are so ruled by this? And some of you say, well, I can text and talk to the person I'm with. Yeah, you know how that feels, right? That dings and the person goes, oh, yeah, 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 okay, yeah, you know. We're not listening to each other. We're not engaging with each other. We're not caring for one another. We get our messages off Facebook and not opposed to Facebook. I'm just saying, do we have real relationships? Are we present? That's something I've been so challenged this year that I need to be more present when I'm with people, that I'm actually with them. Tuck the phone away. Shut it off. Turn it on mute. If you have a real emergency, somebody will get a hold of you. I fly a lot, and I just started a new practice. I don't know why I didn't do this before, but um, I get on a plane. I have long flights sometimes, and I'll just turn to the person next to me and say, 
I pray on these long flights, <laughs> shouldn't we all? <laughs> um, and wondered if there was a way I could pray for you. I was on a plane coming back from Uganda where you guys are, have good work. And I uh, sat next to this gal. There was a seat between us empty, which is always like, yes, <laughs> spread out a little bit back there in the economy, you know. And, uh, and, and uh, I just turned to her and I said, hey, uh, I pray when I'm on flights. Is there any way I can pray for you? She said, I just got engaged. I go, great, tell me the story. And she told me the story. And, and I was listening and just engaging with her and celebrating with her. And then she said, but honestly, it was kind of hard. And I'm like, you know, it was like, she said, because the man that proposed to me just told me that he has a child and he's never talked to me about that child that he has. And I'm wondering if I can trust him. And I'm wondering if he has other things that he hasn't been honest. And for the next few moments, I just listened to her pour out her heart at what should have been this wonderful celebrated time. But I listened long enough and deep enough and looked into her eyes and didn't get distracted. And I really wanted to send my wife one more text before we took off. And I was able to pray with her, even able to do a little pastoral counseling real quick, offer her some counsel. She opened up her heart just because I said, can I pray for you? Had a Hindu man born in India, on, he's lived in Princeton, New Jersey for the last 25 years, very successful businessman, and it was really obvious he was going to over to do seminars and check on some of the financial investments that they're making and stuff. I'm like, I have no connection to this guy with any of my life, and I just finally said, is there a way I can pray for you? And he just kind of looked at me and said, yeah, told me his spiritual background, that he was now not a Hindu, but he and his wife had become... Uh, Buddhist because they felt like that was sort of open and wide and they didn't want to be narrowed by their past and and then he said to me and it was like he had a new revelation I don't think I've given my boys any religion I don't think we've shared anything spiritual with them like he'd never said that before never thought that before and his son was in university and the other one was a senior about to graduate and go to an Ivy League school I said, can I pray for your boys? He said, that would be really helpful. And then he said, how can I pray for you? And I thought, I wonder who he's going to pray to. <laughs> you know? But I didn't care. Before we got off that plane, he invited me to stop and see him if I'm ever in Princeton. I used to go there quite a bit, but I, I you know, it was just an open door because I asked that simple phrase, how can I pray for you? And I stayed present while he talked. You know, some of us are freaked out if we have to share Christ real openly and share the plan of salvation or something like that. Every one of us can pray. Every one of us know how to pray. Every one of us can talk. You say, well, I don't really pray out loud. But you talk out loud, don't you? I, most of you do, I think, probably. Some of you a lot. If you can do that, you can talk to God. Be bold. Somebody asked me, how do you pray like that? I just pray real simple. Whatever they ask, that's what I pray for. I don't pray the prayer of salvation or anything like that. I just pray what they asked me. And it's amazing the conversations that open as we go. Because I was trying to be present. He brings him to Jesus. I love this passage. Andrew brings Simon to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him. And that word looked is very intensely looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. 
I know who you are. I know what your background is. I know exactly who your family is. I know everything about you. He's the son of God. You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translated means Peter, which we know translated means rock, right? Like he's going to be the rock. I, I, this is a crazy passage because I think, I have two older brothers. This is what they would have done with me. I think that, that, that Andrew brought Simon to Jesus as a project. Like, hey, can you help this guy? Because we know him, right? He's up, he's down, he's up and down. This is Simon Peter, right? He's the guy that says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says, I'm going to go to the cross. And he goes, no way, you're not doing that. And Jesus has to say to him, get behind me, Satan, you know? He's the guy that says, everybody else may deny these losers around me, but I'll never deny you. And then he denies him. He's the guy that's up and down. He gets out of the boat, but then he sinks. Jesus helps him up. I mean, this is the guy who's up and down. And he says, I know you. You're Simon. You will be called Rock. I don't think at that point everybody's going, Rocky, 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 you know. And, and I think Andrew's going, dude, you got the wrong guy here. Like, I know my brother. I brought him to fix him, not to say he's like an amazing rock. He's not. But it forever changed his life. And when the Holy Spirit comes on, Simon Peter in, in Acts chapter 2, I mean, that's the transformative power complete in his life. He becomes this bold, sharing the gospel and calling it out and calling. And 3,000 people come to Christ and it just keeps on going. Prisons and all this, no big deal. Because he spoke into his life and called it out. Has that ever happened in your life? I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Um, we, we didn't go to church. We used to go to church on Mother's Day. I asked mom, you know, what would you like us to do? And she said, I'd like you boys to take me to church, dad too, and, and uh, out to dinner, you know. We never went Christmas and Easter. Why would you waste a good holiday going to church, you know? Uh, I, I mean, we were just out there and didn't go. And, uh, but when I was 15, I felt like this compulsion that I needed to change my life. My two old brothers were screwing up their lives, and I thought, I don't want to be like that. I, I thought about turning over a new leaf, and I got invited to a wedding. Wesleyan Church in my hometown, Battle Creek, and, and I got there, and I, I couldn't believe uh, that, that it was cool. Like, the, I, I was dating a girl, and she was pretty, but I thought she had to go to the church because she was the pastor's daughter, long story. Um, and, uh, but I thought, you know, uh, girls will be ugly there, and no athletes, no cool guys, and stuff like that. I met some cool guys, some other beautiful girls there, you know, and I'm like, what's this church all about, you know? But, uh, but I started listening, and I started hearing the gospel, and, and, and people say, well, did you find out you were a sinner? And I'm like, I already knew that. <laughs> like, I was really clear on that. <laughs> you know, I knew I was a sinner. That's why I'm trying to be a better person, right? But I'd never heard that there was a God who loved me and could forgive me and change my life. I'd never heard that. And about five months in, I received Christ into my life, and it totally transformed me and changed me. I started to grow. I tell people I was dumber in a football bat. I didn't know anything about the gospel. I didn't know anything about the word. Pastor would say, you all know the story of it. I go, I don't know that story. Um, I, I, I knew Adam and Eve, you know, and something happened there and all that kind of stuff. And Davy and Goliath, that was the little boy and the dog, you know. I don't even remember the claymation thing. I knew that. That's all I knew. I, and, uh, and so I, I was just struggling, but I just kept growing. I was so excited about God coming into my life. When I was a senior in high school, they used to do this in church. I don't know if they still do it at all, but they'd line up all the seniors who were graduating. The pastor would come by and shake their hand and congratulate them. And uh, I'd give them a book. And we had a pretty good youth group by then. And I was kind of the youth pastor my senior year because our youth pastor was a flunky. And, uh, and, but they lined up probably 25 of us there. And the uh, pastor shaking hand, give a book. And when he came to me, he looked me in the eyes and he said, Dennis, be a pastor. 
It's sealed it in my life. Thousands of times I've doubted me. I've never doubted that call. Because he looked in my eyes and said, Dennis, be a pastor. He's not like 85, 86. A couple years ago, I told him that story again. He remembered it. Because there's something he did was call out things in people. It forever changed my life. We have the power to call things out in people's lives if we're willing to listen to the Holy Spirit and say what he says. Because I don't do this on my own. I, I don't just say, hey, you're cool. You know, you could do something great. No, I try to listen for the Holy Spirit's voice. In fact, I've been on this mission over the last year and a half now of just looking for people that God's speaking to and calling it out in their lives. I was in Peru and this little boy, his mom was running this conference center where we were having our conference and, uh, for the church there in Peru. It's a great church. Jarvis Ferguson, your missionary, was with me. And I said to Jarvis, I said, every time I see this little boy, he's just helping. You know, I'm like, I need some water. And he's like, you know, and uh, I need something. And he's doing that. You know, he's just running around. And I, thought, I just felt so prompted. This little boy needs to be a pastor. So on the last day, we're getting ready to leave. This little boy and his mom are there. And I just said to him, I said, I said, what's your name? His name is Emmanuel. <laughs> it's like, that's cool. Uh, and I just grabbed his hand and I said, Emmanuel, you need to be a pastor. Well, he knew enough English and he recognized the word pastor because it's pretty much the same. He just lit up and his mom lit up and she began to tell us a story and Jarvis is translating to me that when he was two years old, he would get up and he would imitate preachers and he'd go up to people and he'd put a Bible in their hand and like push right there, like read that passage, you know, and he just loved being around the church and around pastors and this was a pastor's conference and, and, and you know what? I didn't call him to ministry. God did. But some guy from up north who seemed to be up front and be an authority saw that in his life and I didn't just sense a prompting to know it I spoke it and I hope that made a difference in his life I went from there to Chile and and I was with this family and, and these three girls up here are amazing girls the girl on the left hand side is studying to be an architect and she has a call to be a pastor but she also wants to build church buildings for the church there her sister in the middle is an animation artist and she's studying right now she really hopes to go to Hollywood and make Christian animation movies and stuff and I gave her some resources and stuff like that she's amazing she also wants to be a pastor though because Everywhere else in the world, everybody's bivocational. Why can't you be an animation person and an artist? And then girl on this side, Isabella, is a senior in high school when I was there. I was out to dinner with them. In fact, this is in the restaurant we were in. It's a large restaurant. You just hang out forever there. The waitresses aren't bothering you. And we had a great meal. It's a huge restaurant. And I had noticed at one point that Isabella had gone away. And I figured she went to the baños. That's the only word I know in Spanish. Um, I went to the bathroom. And so I'd, we'd been there long enough that I'm like, hey, Isabella, do you mind guiding me over there? Because what am I going to do to get there? And uh, so she said, sure. You know, we, as we're going there, I just felt this prompting from the Holy Spirit that I needed to affirm Isabella and so we got there and I said thanks Isabella and I said you know what Isabella you have two amazing sisters and she does and she just smiled so big she spoke really good English and she said yes I do and I said that's so good they're they're gonna do great things for God and she just smiled I said but I want you to know too that God's gonna do great things through you Isabella you're the youngest and you know what God often took the youngest and raise them up to do some of the greatest things. I said, I'm the youngest in my family too. And I want you to know that God has great things for you. 
There's a lot of kids that are intimidated by older brothers and sisters or something like that. David was like, who's going to choose him? But God does amazing things. And I just felt so prompted to say to Isabella, you too are going to do great things, not just your sisters. I was in Pakistan recently, and the security is really high there. And so they would take me in a side door. They introduced me as a Canadian every time, everywhere I went, because who hates Canadians, right? <laughs> stop, stop. And so uh, I, as soon as the service would be over, they'd rush me out and put me into a car. Not because everybody's radical there, but there are a few radicals, and they look for Americans, and they, they can do things. And so they were very, very careful. I was in the service, and I saw this young man, I, 12, 13, 14, I don't know. I can't guess ages anymore. And God just prompted me as I was sitting there, you need to tell him to be a pastor. And I'm thinking, there's no way I'm going to get to this kid because they're going to usher me out this side door and into a car, and we're going to leave. And I just said, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And I, I just knew I was supposed to say to him he needed to be a pastor. Service ends, we rush out the side door, and there he is. There's only like five people there, and there he is. And I just grabbed his hand. They know a lot of English there. And I just said, be a pastor. And he just lit up. I turned around because there was another guy in the church service. I don't know how old he is, 20s, 30s, looked like a university. I don't know what it was. But he was so engaged in the message, so responsive to the message. And I just had this prompting as I'm preaching that I should speak to him and say, God has a special plan for your life and I, you need to be a pastor. And of the five people there, it's the kid that I just showed you and him are two of the five. And I had enough time to take a picture before they rushed me away. I don't even know their names. And I don't think it really matters if I do, because God does. And I just spoke into their lives. Next picture is this little girl. She's five or six at this point. I know it's black and white. It's an old picture. She just has this spring in her step. But after that time in her life, she was just beaten and battered by school teachers who spoke so negatively into her life. She struggled a little bit in school, and third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade teachers just were just... Um, yeah, it's, it's almost hard to describe. Her fifth grade teacher told her that she was so stupid she was going to put her back in first grade. She was a very believable person. When a person of authority spoke in her life, she thought she'd have to go back to fifth grade. She used to have to stand up in front of the class and say, I'm stupid, to the rest of the class. She sat in the front row because all the stupid kids had to sit in the front row. One of her friends that she was just with recently told her, yeah, I used to have to stand up and say, I'm a baby, in front of the whole class. That fifth grade teacher shook her one time so violently that she beat her parents. That same year, though, God spoke to her and invited her to become his child. Her family was Christian, and she just responded, and Christ came into her life and changed her life, and she began to just follow him. When she was 16, she went to a big youth convention in Dallas, Texas, 100,000 there, and she gave her heart completely to Christ. She was sanctified. She just yielded everything in her life and said, I want you to have all of me. When she was 19, she was trained as a uh, licensed practical nurse, but her and a friend just said, we got to blow this popsicle stand we live in in this little farm she lived on and nobody ever left the county nobody ever left the street hardly and uh, just said let's do something wild and crazy so they went on a mission trip to Brazil and while they were there she was just saying God what do you have for my life and God spoke to her one day and said I have more for you I have more for you but you're going to have to leave father and mother 
sisters and brothers and do whatever I ask you to do. And she felt impressed. She should go to university and nobody in her family had ever gone to university. Not even a thought of that. It wasn't like a family tradition. Everybody goes there and stuff. She wrote to 24 schools, applied to four, and the first one to respond was Indiana Wesleyan University. She'd never even heard of Wesleyan Church. So that's where she went. They said yes. She said yes. Parents dropped her off in the pickup truck, you know, 12 hours from there and drove home. And there she was. But while she was in Brazil, God spoke to her and this man, who was the leader of the youth mission that she was on, affirmed that call in her life. We just saw him last year in Florida. It's my wife. She went to Indian Wesleyan University. We met our freshman year. We got married after our sophomore year. Totally transformed my life. And the little girl who was told she was stupid just wrote her first book. And it's having a profound impact around the world. Everywhere I go, people sort of like me. They love her. <laughs> it's now internationally true. It was always true, but it's now internationally true. <laughs> God spoke in her life and people affirmed it. You might be sitting here today saying, well, you don't know my background. I don't. You don't know where I've come from. You don't know the choices I've made. You don't know the mistakes I've made. You don't know what. God sees you very differently than you see yourself. He looked at this up and down, all around, hard to follow through person and said, I know who you are. It isn't like he doesn't know. You are, you shall be, you shall be. And he's saying that to some of you today. And he's saying, follow me and trust me. Don't hold back. I see in you something that's amazing. Disciples who make disciples call that out in people. Because you know what? You've probably had some of those thoughts before. But it doesn't matter what you think. It only matters what you communicate. It only matters what you say. I run into mission, people who are elderly sometimes, and they tell me about how when they were just a child, they, they were called to be a missionary. And then tears begin to run down their face. And they tell me, but I never went. I never went. And I have a big feeling that God called them, and no one affirmed it. And so the enemy stole it away. Because he'll bring doubts. He was even right now saying to some of you, well, that sounds really nice, but it isn't for you because he doesn't know that, da, da, da. you know, that's the enemy. That's not the spirit of God. And so listen for his voice. And when you hear it about others, call it out in them. We get so distracted, but God never does. So a characteristic of multiplying disciples is not only that they follow Jesus, not only that they make disciples, but they seek and call out things in others and then finally they're sent. And that's what you guys do. You sent all of these missionaries. You say, well, we're just part of that. That's right, but somebody has to be part of it and you guys are a part of it in really big ways and all these missionaries are on the field because you sent them out. And, and you know what? There's more that need to be sent out and there's some of you who need to respond. You know what? With all the weather and people who can't be here, you're here and God might be speaking to you today and I want to encourage you to say yes. 
Some of you, that might be a brand new thought, like I've never thought about being a missionary. Well, great. Lean into that first thought. Some of you, God's been working for quite some time, and you're like, I've been scared to death about that, but today you know you need to take a bigger step. I'd love to talk to you about that. Because everywhere I go, I raise up missionaries. Because you know what I've discovered? Doctors inspire people to be doctors. Teachers inspire people to be teachers. I've yet to meet a teacher that didn't tell me about their teacher when they were a kid that inspired them to be. It was my third grade teacher. I fell in love with teaching because they were so good. When I was in seventh grade, I thought I should be a teacher like that. And they're inspired to do that. Carpenters inspire people to be carpenters. Three of my kids work with wood. Three out of four. You know why? Because their grandpa works with wood. He's a master carpenter, and he inspired that in them and told them they were doing good when they were nailing things that were ugly, you know, and making things and just believed in them and helped them to fix it. And, and he believed in them so much they believed they could work with wood, and now they do because of their grandpa inspiring them. Well, I inspire people to be missionaries, and I believe in this church, which is so mission-minded, that God may be calling. And some of you are already saying, well, I'm already too old. I've got a family. Great, awesome, we could use you. Well, I, I, I could never be a pastor. Oh, great. You know what? If, if you can work in the sciences, if you can work in education, if, if you just have some trained skill, great, because we could use you somewhere in the world, and you would be an amazing answer to prayer. I'm too young. You know what? Most I'm glad to have some children in the service today because... Almost all of our missionaries, 75% were called before they were 25, most before they were 18, and most of them in that group when they were just a child. And they need to be affirmed, and they need to grow, and they need to develop, but they need to be sent. Thank you for being a sending church. Love to talk to you afterwards. I'm going to be hanging out in the lobby. God's speaking to you. Man, talk to each other, talk to your pastor. Talk to Ken Peterson. He's all about this thing. Lots of people to talk to. But if you want to talk to me, I'm really open to that. Because I believe that we're here today for a very specific reason. Because he's asking some of you to go. To go. Doesn't happen tomorrow. But it probably should happen soon. Father, I pray over this group today that for those who have first thought like men, you know, and they're thinking of all the reasons the enemy's trying to steal away that, that thought, that call already, that you would just protect them, that you would seal what you've spoken to them today, that God, you'd give them courage to take a next step. And for some of them, a next step is just talk to the person next to them and say, man, that, I, I, God spoke to me during that time. For some, it'll be going to the pastor, Mark, and, and, and maybe to, to Ken or somebody else that they know is really engaged with this whole mission thing and saying, hey, can you pray with me? And, and Lord, give them the courage to step out and say that, not just think it, but say it. And then, Holy Spirit, would you affirm that and would you give them courage to take the next step? This is a church that knows and understands what it is to send. They get behind people. They, 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 they put them out there. And God, I believe that the greatest days of their mission endeavor around the world, here and near and far and hard, are the days that are ahead. And so would you just do greater things than what they can even imagine? We commit this to you and we commit our own lives. As we go into this time of faith promise, I pray that we would be putting our treasure where our heart is, and that we trust you for this. In Christ's name, amen.
Pastor Mark's going to challenge us on the faith promise in just a moment. I just want you to know, Gwen and I, after the first service, just looked at each other and said we're going to be a part of this thing. I love being a part of local church mission, and we're grateful to be able to turn one of those in. I know they're anonymous. I wrote my name. I didn't cross it. I didn't realize they were supposed to be anonymous. But <laughs> Give, trust God to do great things. Thanks, Pastor Mark.